morning and welcome to Bite Size. My name is Yoni Pollock and I'm your host every Wednesday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern right here on the Nahum Siegel Network. Rest in peace. I own the paint one, posterizer one, many, many memories with those AIM screen names, but unfortunately... The time has come for both of them. They have both been officially retired, officially erased from uh, from memory as as AIM has, uh, I guess, disbanded and AOL has, has has moved on from AIM. And AIM was a huge part of, of, of growing up. Anyone that grew up really in the 90s, maybe early thousands, um, AIM was the Facebook Messenger, was the texting, was really the way you communicated with friends. And uh, so I know a lot of uh, older people than me, and, and, and they, they talk about you know things from the past in the 70s and the 80s and saying how, you know, we, us 90s kids, you know, we didn't even know of such things, how lucky we are to grow up now. You know, we could say this. Us 90 kids can now say this about the millennials. You guys, you don't even know what AIM is. Um, really, what a fun time those were, and 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 uh, a classic icebreaker at a lot of meals that I go to, at least now. In the last like year, I feel like has been your AIM screen name. And there's always funny stories about it. You have the classic uh, blah 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 at blah 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 ninety two or or ten ninety two or ninety three or ninety four, usually ending with like the last two years, uh, the last two numbers of the year you were born or your birthday. Or maybe your 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 jersey number in high school and middle school. Just to explain mine, I own the paint one. Both of them really basketball related. I own the paint one. I was the center of my basketball team back in the day in high school. And the paint is a area on the basketball court, usually where the center resides. The big boy, the big man resides. And uh, that was me on the team. So I I you know that was just my name. And then posterizer one and posterizing in basketball is also the act of when someone goes and dunks over someone. And that's, you know, a lot of your favorite players' posters uh, will be a dunk of some sort, at least if they have one of those special dunks in their career, over someone. So I was the posterizer. I would dunk. I would never dunk, but that was what I saw when, when I was on the court. That's what I, I dreamed of and, and thought I was doing, at least. Uh, so those were my two screen names. I actually used AIM for really a long time. I was in this in this fantasy baseball dynasty league with random people for years, and AIM was our method of communication. I remember using it probably till 2013, and most people probably stopped once they got to you know their year in Israel, 20 you know 09, 10, 11, whatever it was. Yeah, I used it till uh, till 13, 14. I actually tried to get on before it closed, but I couldn't figure it out. Um, but AIM is no longer. All those conversations with Smarter Child, Amaven Yovin. That's it. No more, no more Smarter Child, no more AIM. You know what else? This is a, this is a big week. This is a huge week. Um, you know, I usually like to just bring up one topic during this opening. But but with AIM and this next thing, I, I had to give time to both of them. This week, it is Pitch Perfect 3. Clap it up, clap it up, clap it up. Pitch Perfect 3, I've been waiting for this movie since since Pitch Perfect 2. And, and uh, Pitch Perfect 1, for many of you those that don't know, is one of my favorite movies, if not my favorite movie. I think it's a brilliant blend of of clever um, hilarity along with I, acapella. I happen to like acapella a lot. 
and the soundtrack's amazing. I used to actually have the soundtrack on my phone. I don't think I have it anymore, but um, for Pitch Perfect 1, what a great, great movie. And um, just so funny and great music. And then Pitch Perfect 2 came out May 15th, I believe, of 2015. Um, initially disappointed. I saw it. It came out on a Friday, of course. I saw it Thursday evening, 7 p.m., New York City, 69th, 68th Street Theater, whatever it was. Had to see it before, you know, the day it came out, which which is, you know, it always says it comes out Friday, but really it comes out Thursday night. So the 7 p.m. showing and was initially disappointed with it. It was, I you know, I didn't love the music, but I probably watched it five or six times until then. And it gets better every single time. I've watched Pitch Perfect 1 between on my computer and movie and, and TV, I don't know, 20 times. Pitch Perfect 2, not as much, but I watched Pitch Perfect 1 on Sunday, you know, to kind of get myself back into it and, and remember things. I'll probably watch Pitch Perfect 2 tonight. Um, and uh, looking forward, forward to Pitch Perfect 3. I got to figure out who I'm going with. I got to figure out what time, tickets, etc. But looking, looking forward to Pitch Perfect 3. I know there are a lot of Pitch fans out there, so holla at me if you're one of them. All right, what's going to be on this show? In honor of Pitch Perfect 3, we'll have acapella, but not really in honor of it just because Hanukkah also happened, you know, with the Maccabees and the Wise Studs and 613, they all happen to have some acapella um, music songs. Mu- Hanukkah is really the biggest time for those uh, acapella groups. There's always a song. Every year they come up with something. Hanukkah is the, the big get, I guess. Uh, so we got a ton of that. Really a lot of this Hanukkah music throughout. Eighth day of Hanukkah, the last day of Hanukkah, and what a wonder, wonderful Hanukkah it's been. And uh, to discuss Hanukkah, Miriam L. Wallach will join the program hopefully this week. Eh, 10.40, 10.50, whatever it is, the last segment, the segment that has no name, the last segment of the show. And uh, before that, it'll be Tova Connect's interview with Mo Mernick at 9.45 a.m. this week. So usually we hear from her at 10 a.m. this week at 9.45 a.m. with Mo Mernick. He is the author of The Gift of Stuttering, Confronting Life's Challenges. He's also the head of business development at Home Talk again, 9.45 a.m. Eastern. But for now, Hanukkah music, but we start things off with one thing and one thing only on Wednesdays, and that's Mahapecha Shel Simcha. Time to dance on Bite Size right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. שמעתי שעושים פה מסיבה בלעדיי אף אחד לא עושה את זה יותר טוב ממני hey, נשים את הצרות מאחוריי אני לא הולך עד שכולכם מג'נונים hey, שמעתי שהתחלתם בלעדיי אף אחד לא עושה את זה יותר טוב ממני hey, הראש כבר מסתובב כולם בהיי לא נעצור עד שכולכם מג'נונים Oh, 
it out, out, out We can light it up, up, up So they can put it out Green. 
were gone Yeah, I put my lockers in the air sometimes Saying, hey, oh, spin the dreidel Just wanna celebrate for all eight nights Singing, hey, oh, light the candles Thought, are they for real, 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 real? Those Maccabees, they never yield, 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 yield. They charge ahead with sword and shield, 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 shield. Yeah, yeah, the war went on and on and on until the mighty Greeks were gone. Yeah, up in my lockers in the air sometimes, saying, hey, oh, spin the dreidel.
about to drive on till tomorrow Wipe away your tears and your sorrow Sunrise in the sky like an arrow No need to worry, no need to cry Light up your mind, no longer be blind Him who searches will find Leave your problems behind You will shine like a fire in the sky What's the reason we're alive? The reason we're alive I stumble and fall, but my strength comes not from man at all Bound to stumble and fall, but my strength comes not from man at all
shining, burning bright. They remind me of your love and miracles all around. All late nights when we're lighting around the world, menorahs are shining, burning bright. They remind me of your love and miracles all around. So we wait all year for the best week ever. Friends and family here celebrate together, and I don't wanna go. Give me please, I admit that I did some things I wasn't proud of now I'm living life differently And when I'm down it's like you're kicking me And if I'm down and you love me shouldn't it be like you're kissing me I'm at the point where I might break now I can't take it no more and I might break down Yo, face down in my palms and I'm gone Buried in psalms, writing songs Everybody needs a everybody can Always there, 
with us on a journey And home is where the heart is Hold me, cause I just want to be holy, holy And we are back on Bite Size here on the Nachum Siegel Network It's now time for Tova Connect's interview with Mo Mernick The author of The Gift of Stuttering, Confronting Life's Challenges He is also the head of business development talk of Home Talk Here's Tova with Mo Mernick on Bite Size right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Thank you, Yoni. I'm sitting here with someone that I am truly inspired by. His name is Mo Mernick, the author of The Gift of Stuttering, Confronting Life's Challenges, A Personal Journey, and also the head of business development at Home Talk. Welcome to the show, Mo. Thank you so much, Tova. It's great to be here. Um, so before we get into all the incredible things you do that inspire so many people, can you give us a little bit of a background about who you are, your story? Thanks much, Tova. Yeah, so it's great to be on the show. It's great to connect. We're speaking today from the city of Yerushalayim, now the capital of Israel, recognized by all. And just to bring you through to my story a little bit, growing up in Toronto, I I could have seemed like an ordinary kid. I loved sports. I went to amusement parks. Our version of Six Flags, which was called Canada's Wonderland, play a lot of ice hockey as a good Canadian kid. There's one part about me that made me stand out a lot, and I had a debilitating stutter. Really? So when I was younger, I really couldn't talk that much. Now, it's interesting because you hear me speaking a lot now, and I love to talk. I'm generally uh, outgoing. I'm an extrovert, and I love to speak, which is why as a kid, life felt very stifling. Uh-huh. Growing through elementary school, just to bring you back a little bit to be able to get some better context into my story, uh, it was really challenging because I had a very hard time in social settings, wasn't able to really speak to friends, to introduce myself, to speak up in class. But there were points when I wasn't even able to say my own name. There was points when I wasn't able to answer the phone and say the word hello. And I vividly remember being seven, eight, nine, ten years old and projecting ahead on life and really sad and thinking, what would life have in store? How, does, how will I ever be able to lead a meaningful life, a productive life, if I'm not able to speak? Now again, it's ironic now because I'm speaking a lot, but we'll be able to better understand that. I, I, I needed to better understand this, and in context, it really was bothersome for one more reason, is that I went to from schools. I grew up as a from kid, yeah. and it was a given in all the schools and all the classes and everything that we did and everything that we studied was always that Hashem created the world. Right. And guess what? He loves us. And do you know what? Everything that happens <laughs> is for the Best. Tova, you're good. You went to Jewish schools too, I'm sure. And as 10, 11, 12 years old, going into my bar mitzvah, that was really, really, it was a troubling thing to continue to hear because life seemed so miserable at that point. I, 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 I felt like life was so tough. And how could anybody tell me that this was for the best? And whenever I tried to actually ask Hashem for this thing called my stutter to go away, it seemed to fall on deaf ears because it never would. Wow. So I needed to find myself a little bit more and I needed to grow. I, 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 but I was really on the brink there and I, well first I had a nice little experience. I, I felt, as many teens probably do, that, uh, that, uh, that Hollywood seemed to have these answers to happiness. Uh-huh. So as a 14-year-old, I started to become an extra in movies and television shows. Yeah. Toronto, as many know, is, is considered Hollywood North. There's a lot of films there. There's a lot of, um, a lot of action in that realm. A lot of opportunity. And I've got to say that Hashem has an incredible sense of humor. Because <laughs> my first role, there I am, 14, 
and I get a call to be in a movie, and I'm so excited. I remember my mom is bringing me downtown to go to the movie set, and all she says to me was, Moshe, my name there was Moshe, she says, or she calls me Moshe, Moshe, one favor, one favor. She was never really a fan of me being in movies, but she allowed me to do it. She just asked me to keep my kippah on my head. Huh. Moshe, when you're going to be on set, I just ask you one favor. Try to keep your keep on. Now, there I am saying, sure, Mom, I'll try. I'll see what I can do. I'll see if they let me. And in my mind, I'm thinking, there's not a chance in the world that I'm leaving my keep on. I mean, there's Hollywood on the one hand. There's my keep on the other. And clearly, Hollywood was pulling me in a way that Judaism then was not. But what was so ironic was when I showed up on set, and the director told me what to do, I was to play the part of a Hasidic Jew. That's incredible. My first wow. role, 14, and I had to do the white shirt, dark pants, and there I was, if any of you are able to appreciate this, I had a tiny little kippah on the front of my head, yeah. thinking I was so cool, and on set, the hair and makeup artist approached me and taught me how the Jewish people wear their kippahs. So she put about seven more bobby pins inside my kippah, showing me that's the way they do it. Anyways, that was a nice experience. I had uh, much more there, but not for right now, Tova. Okay. But moving through, I, I, what was very interesting at that point, and I had a number of experiences through the teenage years as well, is that I was really confronted with, with a decision to make. There's Judaism on the one hand. There's belief on the one hand. There's apparently meaning and purpose and ultimate happiness on the one hand. But then there's this seemingly challenge on the other hand that I cannot connect with. And I have to say that what my first real experience here in Israel was when I came here uh, at 14, 15 years old. Uh, I, 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 I wanted to come here for a summer. I spent some time here. I continued to actually finish high school here. But it was very powerful for me at that age to experience two things. Number one was, was as a young kid, it was 2011, the summer of 2011, and I was walking in the center of town and I was uh, right near a very large terror attack at the Sparrow's Pizza Shop. Oh, no. And... That, to me, as a teenager, who was kind of like an angry little teenager at that point, was very unique because it helped give me a little bit of perspective that life is beyond my little world of me. Yeah. And that life, with the challenges that I'm going through, there's, there's a much broader world out there. And there's really the opportunity, if we think about it, to be appreciative for actually another day of life. But what was more important at that age was meeting a guy from Brooklyn, New York, named Ari. Ari was an advisor on the summer program where I was, and Ari was a larger-than-life personality. Anybody from Brooklyn out there, shout out Brooklyn. <laughs> Just had a real great, stereotypical Brooklyn personality. Okay. And Ari was passionate about life. He had this zest for life. He, was, he, he participated on the trips that we went on, and what was what grabbed me was his passion for Yiddishkeit, for Judaism. And he spoke in an incredible way, but what was unique in this whole process is that Ari also had a really bad stutter. So there I was looking at this guy, a couple years older than me, who was just happy, who, was, who had this passion, a zest, and who was passionately from, but at the same time had the same challenge that seemed to be hindering me throughout. When I got to know Ari better, I learned that he also had cancer when he was about 16, 17 years old. Thankfully, he was better. Uh, and, 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 and still, he kind of went right back to school and right back to yeshiva. And there he was teaching younger kids about Torah. 
And I knew at that point that there was something here that I wanted to explore a little bit more. So instead of at that point shifting more out of Judaism because I was upset with the challenges that I was going through, it was taking the mature step forward and saying, I'd like to explore what this means. I've got to say, those next few years, finishing high school, going to yeshiva, I had the chance to really, really connect on a, a deep level to what it means to have challenges and to what it means to be able to recognize, and this is very, very fundamental, that our challenges are not obstacles, but rather they're vehicles to become the people that we are. Challenges are opportunities to fulfill our potential. Challenges are really the way in which Hashem is helping us grow to become the best people that we could be. I speak about this a lot in my book, The Gift of Stuttering. I go through a number of examples and stories and analogies that help me understand that. But once I was able to have this paradigm shift where the stuttering was not holding me back to living life to its fullest, but rather it was enabling me to do so, life took on a whole new meaning. Mm -hmm. Things started to really propel forward. I finished university and I was on a typical finance track. Uh, I was interning at a financial firm out of the tri-state area. And that was kind of my plan after university to just work in finance. And there I was with the opportunity through a yeshiva that I'd previously gone to, the Yeshiva Gadol of Waterbury okay. in Connecticut. They were offering some guys every few months to go and teach in a yeshiva in Berlin, Germany. Wow. Uh, they, there's about 100,000 Jews in Germany today. And they were offering some guys every few months to go out and to run outreach programs there. Now, me being young and adventurous, and uh, it sounded like a wonderful opportunity to really explore the world and teach Torah. I said, great. Yeah. So I went out there, spent two months at that point during my second last semester in university, mm -hmm. and I taught a lot. Went around to Hamburg, Berlin, Leipzig, Munich taught on a number of programs and I began to feel really for the first time though that I was starting to not just get out there but to really express myself in ways that I never had beforehand. The stutter that had still been holding me back, the stutter that was still there alive and vibrant, I began to start off my speeches and say guys just want to let you know I have a stutter and I'm just going to give you a talk and the more I was open about it the more confident I became with it. Wow. The better I felt about myself through the process is actually the more fluent I began to speak. Ironically, wow. the, the less self-conscious I was with it, the less angry at God I was about it, but the more at peace I was with it is the better the talks came absolutely to over. The more I accepted it, it's a part of me. And it's not this part of me that I try to hide, but it's a part of me that God gave me that obviously is meant to be, and I'm going to try to work with it. I laugh about it, I joke about it, I talk about it, and ironically, the more I started to do that, and that real opportunity was there in Germany to really speak a lot and give a lot of classes in front of a lot of new people, is when I began to see that I was, for the first time, coming out of my shell and speaking and growing and teaching and becoming much more fluent and loving speaking in public. But at the same time, there was a deeper level is because it wasn't just the fact that I could speak, but the years that I had been troubled by philosophical questions about meaning, purpose, faith, challenges. Why does God do this to me? What did I do wrong? Why is he making me suffer? I started to see that all those questions, which led me on a journey of a number of years to discover myself and my purpose, was now helping me at the young age of 19 actually inspire many people as a result. And it started to crystallize that very deep message of Hashem crafting a specific story for me 
that everything is lining up specifically so I can fulfill everything that I'm supposed to here in this world. Wow. So as that became to, uh, as that was coming to fruition, as that was starting to clarify itself, I, I, I decided not to go on that finance track. I was offered a job and I went to teach. And that started a number of years of teaching, of inspiring people in Australia, in Europe, Australia. in the States, in Canada, Sydney, Australia for a summer wow. to teach at the Moriah College on a leadership program. Wonderful opportunities to teach and to help a lot of people. Unbelievable. So fast forward to we're sitting in Yerushalayim. Excellent. <laughs> How do you come to Israel then? Excellent question. So actually, it's, uh, it's great because Israel, again, was not just a place where I got inspired as a teenager, but it was a place where I kept on coming back to visit. It was a place where I kept on coming to recharge and to be myself. It was also a place where I met my wife. Oh. We went on our first date in Yerushalayim. The story there was actually kind of cute because for a number of years I was suggested to this girl named Melanie. My sister was her counselor in camp when she was a teenager and her principal was a close family friend and for many, many years Mo had to date Melanie. Okay. And uh, at a certain point I was traveling a lot, she was traveling a lot after high school, she went to teach in Dallas as well and we, she was in Israel to finish off university and I at that point was able to come to Israel and we came to date here. Now we, we, it was a wonderful you know, few months and we confirmed that as many had thought that we were right for each other, we got married. Israel was always a dream to us, but it never seemed practical. Okay. We knew we wanted to get out there, we wanted to teach eventual jobs in the business world and it didn't seem practical to do that here in Israel. So like many that I know, it was great to be here, it was great to be inspired here, but now off to the real world and mm -hmm. to live life. So you left Israel? Yes. But you came back. Yes. So, <laughs> so we moved so. initially to Vancouver. Okay. And we wow. were there to teach. So we moved right after we got married. We moved to Vancouver. I was the youth rabbi at a large Mormon Orthodox synagogue. And I ran the NCSY. My wife taught at a number of the schools in Vancouver. Yeah. And that was awesome. But again, we have this, this gnawing feeling that Israel was a place that we wanted to explore. Uh, I was also at that point shifting out of full-time Jewish outreach and moving it into the business world. So it was a great opportunity to do my MBA, my master's in business in Israel, spend a year, yeah. and to decide within that year whether or not Israel was a place where we can impact our surroundings, impact the Jewish people, and at the same time have a viable career in the business world. Wow. So I just want to take a a moment in time just to say to you that I am completely inspired to see someone sitting in front of me that you coined yourself as an angry teenager and now you're sitting here inspiring tens of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people with your, uh, all your inspirational talks, with everything that you're doing. Thank you Tova. I, it's, an, it's a very important point you bring up and I taught a lot over the last number of years, when I came out with my book and when I now travel around the world to speak at synagogues and Jewish organizations around the world about my story, uh, this came because I realized that there are so many teenagers and families and people that are going through very difficult times, but in, our, in the from world, there are very few stories of those that have become vulnerable and share their stories about really, really where they were right. and where they are today. Regardless of our community dynamic and whether or not, regardless. Okay. In the secular world, in the non-Jewish world, there's a ton of stories of people that are open about their struggles and about their challenges and where they are today. In the from world, if we take a look at all the books in any... Jewish bookstore that we go to, there are very few stories of those that have truly struggled with something and that are now sharing their story. And because I'd really been there myself, 
you can definitely coin me as I was an at-risk teenager without going into the details, having been through multiple schools in multiple countries. Many people for years were encouraging me to share that story because it could help people, it could give people a sense of what, how these experiences as a teen have helped me become the person that I am today and not just sharing them one-on-one -on -one with people but sharing them in a broader way. So thank you for your feedback and I just want to open that up that I'm not just asking others to appreciate it and to become inspired by it and grow through it, but what I really ask all of you listening is to please take that message to heart and to be open with others in ways that can inspire them too because so often there are people that are successful in doing great things and being great role models and examples, but it's... We don't see their history, we don't see where they came from, where they started. Exactly. And so often it's much more relatable than we think. And for the teenagers out there, for young adults out there that are truly trying to find themselves, it's so important that we're able to provide the guidance for them in a relatable way. Yeah. And to be able to provide some perspective on what life's perspective. able to be like. Because a lot of times people see them just as the finished product. You see someone, you know, such an inspiration, but you're thinking, what was the path leading up to that? How did they get to where they are now? Yeah, so. and that path is usually not linear. No, it's not. <laughs> There's never a way to say, oh, if you do this and this in 10th no, grade and then university and... Everybody has their own path and everybody has to live their own path and accept their own path. And, and that point is critical. And just to point out, that path is designed by Hashem. Yes. And if we can appreciate that, that the variables in our life, the, everything that is set up for us, from our personality traits to who our parents are, to who our cousins are, to what our talents are, to in which city we were brought up in. And those are all designed for us so we can be the best people that we could be. And me being jealous of somebody else, whether their bank account or their car or their family or their spouse or their kids or their job or whatever it may be, is undermining the very notion that Hashem created me to fulfill something that nobody else can. Right. And taking that message to heart can provide us with a tremendous sense of inner serenity, of true happiness, because we are who we're meant to be. <laughs> who we're meant to be, and it's up to us to get there. But then bring in the Israel part, how we got here to Israel. So we had the opportunity then. Uh, when I was going to do the MBA at Tel Aviv University, so my wife got offered the position to be the Aim Bayit at Bar Ilan University. There's a one-year program. So we got to continue to teach a lot of Torah while we were here to secular students from the states and Canada who were coming here for a year to gap your program at a university. So we lived on a college campus right outside of Tel Aviv. And that was a great year. I, it, it, it was great in the sense that it truly gave us perspective on what life was like in Israel, gave us a lot of perspective that we're able to still teach, inspire a lot of people while we're here in Israel. It doesn't have to be Vancouver or Sydney or somewhere else in the world. And to be quite open, it was a really, really difficult year. <laughs> we had our, our second child when we were here that year. And just to navigate bureaucratically where, how, what, when, we understand Hebrew, but we're not native speakers. Culturally, it wasn't simple. Finding my first business job here was not a walk in the park. That same strength that I get, continuously get, from recognizing that Hashem is behind my challenges and those challenges are designed to help me become the person that I'm able to become, also help my wife and I recognize that living in Eretz Yisrael, those challenges are designed to help us take full advantage of the unparalleled privilege of living here at home. 
if it was easy, everybody would do it. If Judaism was easy, everybody would do it. But then there's no purpose behind any of it. It is hard. It's supposed to be hard. The Gemara says it's going to be hard. It's not supposed to be easy. Nothing in life is easy. Nothing in life meaningful is easy. And I also... I provide teams with this analogy often because it's so, it's so clear. To talented athletes, the coach pushes them harder than those athletes that are not as talented. Yeah. We'll provide them with circumstances that are going to make it more difficult for them to reach their full potential. To reach their full potential. Not because the coach has anything against them, but rather the contrary. Right. The coach is working extra hard to empower them to be the best that they could be. When my wife and I saw that living in Israel was a similar dynamic of challenges, but challenges that were meaningful, challenges that were helping us become greater people, it gave us more strength to want to make that vision of living in Israel a reality for us. Okay, so Mo, we can't ignore the fact that we're sitting in a beautiful brand new building, Home Talk, in Givat Shaul, in Yerushalayim. Um, can you tell the audience a little bit about what Home Talk is? Sure, Tova, I'd be happy to. I actually started here a, a couple of years ago. After the MBA, I worked at a couple other startups in the Tel Aviv area, and now I'm here in Yerushalayim. Home Talk has really become uh, the world's largest DIY community. DIY means do it yourself. So we are a community, there are 13 million registered members on the, on the, on the Home Talk platform mostly out of the U.S., and Home Talk empowers them to create a home they love. Mm -hmm. Essentially, when something breaks in our home, Mm -hmm. we're very often calling contractors, our cousins, our friends, if anybody knows how to fix it. Or throw it out. Or throw it out. Whereas often that very item that can be fixed, or the very item that will spend thousands of dollars on a, a contractor to come and help, uh, we could often fix it ourselves or at a fraction of the cost of what somebody would charge us. Uh-huh. Home Talk is a community of people that are empowered to do more in their own homes. But not just to fix things and not just to make new things, but to decide how they want their home to look and make that happen. So just to give you some perspective on the numbers in terms of what we do, we have about 100,000 projects on the website. It's home-related projects on the website. And we get about 40 million visits to the website each month and approximately 200 million video views on Facebook each month. We have many videos on Facebook daily from short videos like that of Tasty, which I'm sure you're familiar with if you're on Facebook. We also have about three live shows every single day. People that are doing projects in their homes, those shows get about 200,000 views each. And then we have uh, a new exclusive Facebook show called Facebook Watch. Facebook has allowed several publishers to start producing native TV-like content on their platform. I was just actually in their office in Los Angeles discussing how we can take that up to the next level. And we produce these shows now at Facebook. So between these three types of videos that we produce for Facebook, we get about 200 million video views a month. Okay, so when you walk in every single morning to Home Talk, I don't know if a lot of people know that Home Talk is a Jerusalem-based, Israel-based company. How does it feel? Do you publicize that? How does it feel for you to walk into such an incredible company? I love that question. And that question is so important because we, we, while 
Usually, Israeli companies have this American front, so we're officially headquartered in New York City. We actually have an office in the Chelsea area of New York City. I travel back and forth that office a lot. We have about five people in that office and about 75 employees in the office in Yerushalayim. And I've got to say, walking into work daily, Tova, if you look around, what you could see here is something that has amazed me in ways that makes me so happy and appreciative to be here in Israel. One of the things that has bothered me the most about being here in Israel is the sense of friction between different sects of Jewish people in Israel. So when I traveled the world, I was a Jewish person. So whether I was in Paris without food and a Chabad guy saw me and gave me some of his pitas, or whether out of the city, wherever I was around the world, I was a Jew and you were a Jew and we had this sense of family. When I arrived here in Israel, it was a little bit more challenging because all of a sudden it was, wait, what kind of kippah do you wear? Where do you live? What, what kind of shul do you go to? Where do your kids go to school? Wait, why are you working at, at a Tel Aviv startup if you're Haredi? Are you Haredi? Who are you? What, what, you wear a, this kind of kippah, but that color shirt. Yeah. I felt like I was just in this gray area in between and without having that strong sense of community and connection with the Jewish people in a broader sense as I did outside of Israel. But if you walk around the halls in this office, it's really a microcosm of Jewish unity that I wish would exist across the entire country. Yeah. There are those with long beards that are very Hasidish and there are those that are very secular like our CEO. And there's a beautiful sense of mutual respect there's a beautiful sense of connection, of dialogue, of we don't have to look the same, nor act the same, nor necessarily have the same beliefs, but we respect each other for who we are and for what we do, and we all recognize that collectively we are much better than any of us individually. So I've been lucky enough to hear you speak on numerous occasions, and um, one thing that comes up a lot is uh, the concept of DIY your life. What's that concept and how does that relate to you? <laughs> That's a great question. So. Uh, for years, as you've heard, uh, I love the theme of making life awesome with what we have. Th these are our resources. This is what Hashem gave me. How do I make life awesome? Taking everything, embracing it, making sure to leverage those resources to be happy, to love life, to live life to its fullest. And then I come to work in the business world after being in the nonprofit world and the Jewish world for so long, and it, it can be somewhat less meaningful on a daily basis without that strong sense of meaning. And I, I found this incredible theme of all that we do here at Home Talk. The whole theme of, of, of DIYs, do it yourself, what does that mean? I'll tell you more about what a home talker is. A typical home talker is a middle aged American woman who shops at Walmart and Home Depot, who cannot afford expensive contractors or designers to redecorate her home. And therefore, instead of wallowing in the fact that she cannot live like her cousin, her neighbor, her old friend from from high school, she is going to DIY her home. She's going to buy cheaper materials from dollar stores or Walmart and Home Depot, as I said, and she's going to make her home look amazing. Instead of just being upset about what she does not have, she's going to take the resources that she does have and make life awesome with that. And I've coined this hashtag, if you will, called DIY your life because that same, that same mantra of taking all that I have and making life awesome with it 
is really the way that I felt that I was able to grow through my stutter and grow through my adversity and live the life that I'm leading today. If I just was jealous of everybody growing up saying, oh, I wish I spoke like him, I wish I had not like her, then I'd still be miserable today. But if once I recognize that everything that Hashem gave me was perfect for me, continues to be perfect for me, how do I make life awesome with that? How do I lead my full potential with that? That's the point when I can start to live. That's the, per- that's the point when I can start to love life. And that DIY, your, your life mentality, means that I'm going to make life awesome with what I have. What is it about living in Israel that speaks to you, that you really feel connected to? In a very succinct way, living life here helps reinforce daily that this thing called Judaism is really true. That this thing that we call God really exists. That he loves me is not just a made up fairy tale that they teach us in Jewish schools, but really he loves us beyond anything we can imagine. The greatest connection point in the world to experience that is Israel. And I feel blessed to be able to be on the receiving side of that daily. The fact that my kids grow up with this tangible reality is another tremendous privilege. They're not just speaking Hebrew and that's cool because they're Jewish and they're speaking Hebrew, but my son understands Torah natively. The way my daughter speaks about this reality with Hashem and visiting the Kotel on a Friday afternoon is just beautiful far beyond anything I can imagine. The only thing that I... I wish that we had, what we're really missing is Mashiach. I, I don't mean to say that in a, a light way, and I don't mean to sound, but like I have seven siblings, my parents, I'm the only one in my family that moved out here. I have a brother in LA, brothers in New York, siblings in, sisters in Toronto, my parents are in Toronto, I have a lot of cousins there. I'm out here, many of the Jewish people are out there. If we were to unify here together with that reality around Mashiach, where it was clear for us to be here, we're all able to make it work here, believe that we would all be able to experience a sense of clarity and purpose and meaning and true happiness and in an unparalleled way. So that's my hope, is that that's really what we're missing. And up until that point, I'm going to try to utilize the privilege that I have being here and fulfilling all that I can to expedite his arrival. That was the perfect segue to ask you my last question for today. Um, Mo, if you could think of one place in Israel that you can call your Israel happy place, what would that place be? Sure. So I've got to be honest, Tova. I, I, I peeked at the questions you had right before we started the interview, and I had one answer in my mind that I was going to share the entire time. Really? But as soon as you started to ask the question, I actually changed my answer. I'll start with what I was going to say the whole time, and then I'll tell you afterwards what I was going to say at this moment. Perfect. The thought that I had throughout this interview... I'm sure you can imagine, was being at the Kotel. It was the place that I was impacted most as a teenager in terms of finally feeling like I had a connection with Hashem. I speak about the story in my book, not for right now, it's a longer story, but for the first time as a 15-year-old kid, I finally felt like somebody was there listening to me. And it's a place where my wife and I went on our first date, and mm. it's a place where I continue to go to recharge, to gain strength, and to speak to Hashem. It's a place where I love to bring my kids as well. But the answer that, I, that I'm going to give you now, when you actually ask the question, which might be 
uh, even more true than the Kotel, if there had to be one place, and that is my home. Oh. It's Sunday afternoon, and we just had a beautiful Shabbat. We hosted 18 girls from the community. My wife runs all kinds of programs. We had a beautiful Friday night meal and all kinds of activities and programs. Shabbat morning was beautiful. We were playing and having fun in shul. The kids came. Uh, they were able to run to shul by themselves because Ramat Beit Shemesh is very, very family and Shabbos friendly. Uh, Shabbat afternoon, just the entire experience, not just Shabbat, but just being at home in Israel is a dream that I never thought would become a reality. Having a home that we like to think permeates with a sense of Torah, with a sense of happiness, with a, which is really imbued with love, is really a dream that I'm very appreciative for, something that we continue to work on, and to have that home here in Israel is a blessing and a privilege which I'm very appreciative for, and I wish all of you listening, wherever we may be, to have that kind of home that really has a very strong sense of Torah, love, and happiness in the home, and if we can make that next step to have that type of home here in Israel, there's no greater possible dream than that. Wow, That's, that was beautiful. Highly inspirational. Mo, thank you for sitting down with me and sharing your story with everyone. And um, I just wish you continued success on a personal level, at home talk, and uh, in everything you do. Thank you very much. It's a privilege to be here with you. And if I can help anybody with anything, feel free to reach out. How can they, yes, how can they uh, reach you? My personal email is momernickagmail.com. If you have any questions on the show, anything I can assist with, anything about Israel, feel free to reach out. My personal email, momernickagmail.com. On Facebook, Mo Mernick. On LinkedIn, Mo Mernick. And I'm sorry I'm not on Snapchat or Instagram, but I'd be happy to connect on the other platforms. And I wish all of you a beautiful day and an awesome life. Wow, amazing. Thank you, Yoni. Back to you. Thank you, Tova, and thank you, Mo Mernick. He is, again, the author of The Gift of Stuttering, Confronting Life's Challenges, and also the head of business development at Home Talk. If you uh, came in at the middle of the interview, you can head to our archives, nachamsegel.com slash archives, hit bite size, and you could find the interview there, probably starts around the 45 or so minute mark in the archive. You could also head to tovenisrael.com, tovenisrael on Facebook. She will have the interview up. Uh, I'm betting it's up right now, so... Tovenisrael.com, Tovenisrael on Facebook. You could find the interview there. And we have plenty more coming up here on Bite Size. A lot more Hanukkah music and then the segment that has no name ending this week's show with Miriam L. Wallach discussing all things Hanukkah right here on Bite Size on the Nachum Segal Network. Shalom. You already know. Making lockers, I can sell those. And sometimes it's too funny. Light them candles in the window. For it, that's cause it's Hanukkah. Yeah, I like this and we will sing. All those miracles that God did bring. Yeah, my old so we're gonna sing. Cause we didn't listen to the king. Menorah's looking pretty Choose. Watch me, watch me Two, watch me, watch me Three, watch me, watch me Four, ooh, ooh, ooh Five, 
Watch me, watch me, six. Watch me, watch me, seven. Watch me, watch me, eight, eight, eight. Now watch me spin. I spin my Dre Dre. Dre Dre. Now watch me spin. Shit, don't get more. Hey, hey. Now watch me flip. Flip my bow, day, day. Now watch me win. Like some Macabre. But who fought back here? Yeah, the Maccabees. Life over darkness, hope beat the heartless. God gave us miracles like you ain't never seen. Happy that we made it, so we gonna celebrate it. And you're gonna hear about it from 613. Those lockers, those lockers. Yum. Shalom. Eight nights I stay up staring at those candles. They tell the story that occurred. Eight nights we're thankful for that small miracle. Our prayers are answered and our voices heard. When one night turns to eight, that's why we celebrate. In the dark of night, the candles. Making random Jewish 
we thankful for that small miracle. Our prayers were answered and our voices heard. When one night turns to
enough to go around The world that we live in, so much cold and strife One little light to warm another life Through the darkest night with the brightest light Cause it's time for you to shine A little dedication, a small illumination Just one person to change a whole nation Let me see the light Give me something to lose you Oh, 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 oh. 
Cause you know we're all about that nays, about that nays, no oil. We're all about that nays, about that nays, no oil. We're all about that nays, about that nays, no oil. We're all about that nays, about that nays. You know we're all about that nays, about that nays, all about that nays, about that nays. Led by the love. 
Cuz every Hanukkah Forgot them in the frying pan each year While we were having fun Playing dreidel Smoke alarms were wailing everywhere Firemen were breaking all the windows Sadie closed his eyes Began to pray Those latkes had no luck Our mouth bit down and stuck But Bobby made us feed them anyway Those were the for the final segment dubbed a segment that has no name otherwise known as Yoni and the Old Girl. Ah, good morning Miriam. How, How are, are you? Chag Sameach. Chag Sameach. The final 
night day of Hanukkah. There's no more nights. That's it. Shouldn't we just be playing the final countdown instead of playing your favorite Hanukkah song? Those again. were the nights. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's great. it is. It is. I'm not really making fun of it. it I worked. like that song. Do you listen to it the other days of the year? Mm, no. Really? Like very little. I can see you closet listening to it. I actually kind of feel... Um, I don't know, I feel guilty because there's times during Hanukkah where I'm like, oh, I kind of want to listen to regular music. But then I'm like, I don't listen to Hanukkah music outside of Hanukkah. I have to listen to Hanukkah. Like these eight right. days, I have to listen to Hanukkah I music. hear that. And it gets, I feel kind of guilty. By the way, before we discuss Hanukkah, I, I opened up this show um, discussing AIM. I don't know if you heard AIM is, is no longer. you know AIM? No. AOL Instant Messenger? Oh, no. I didn't realize. May yeah, it rest so in the, peace? So December 15th. My two screen names are done. I just wanted to know wow. if your, your kids, I know they're a little younger than I am, if they were ever nope. on AOL. Nope. N- none. Nope. So they, nope. Don't, they don't even know what AOL is. I didn't have it. They have no idea what it is. That's crazy. They have no idea what it is. For sure not. The 90s kids, that's what all 90s kids grew up in. I wonder if the millennial, like that's something that we can now say about millennials, like you don't even know what AIM is. Right. Well, yesterday I found out some bizarre piece. Actually, two days ago, we were working on college essays with one of my kids and um, she has to write about somebody either live or past who she would want to meet, you know, want to sit down and have a conversation with. And uh, we were coming up with different people and somebody who plays a prominent role in Jewish history, in modern Jewish history, but from the Arab side, she had never heard his name. So Stephen and I looked at each other and go, wow, there's a gap in someone's education. <laughs> so yeah, like it's a name that if I would say to you, you would completely know who it is. Oh, don't put me on the spot. No, I'm not going to, because <laughs> then that's going to be a horror of a moment. Yeah. Um, so besides the amazing Hanukkah presents that Nahum and I got you, did you get anything interesting? From other people? Yeah. No, no one else likes me. Oh, yeah, Yoni. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. no oh, like sorry. We were discussing in our apartment if oh, we should do some awkward. sort of mystery Maccabee. Yeah. And then I was just like, nah, I'd rather not. And we did a, with the Hanukkah party um, at my house was the sixth night, and we did it, um, we did a grab bag where everyone put in an item that was $15 or less, mm-hmm. around $15, and then you had a number, and you got to pick. Right. Right, you got to pick out of the bag in that order, and if you liked what someone else had, you got to take theirs when it was your turn. How does that? You, you got, oh, you got it was steal? a little. It was a little rough. Yeah, it was. I'll tell you what happened. That's not fair. I know it was a little rough. Um, so you got to steal somebody else's, and then that person took your turn. So what happened? Yeah, go. My youngest pulled out out of the grab bag this package that was well wrapped and whatever. And it's like classic elementary school girl favorite item to have. It was a silver shiny emoji backpack. (gasps) I I know. Ridiculous. She was like running around the house with it. But she has a cousin who is four weeks younger than she is who on her turn snatched it. So that was. Which means then what? What that means that my daughter gets to pick again, but my niece gets the item. Man, that's so unfair. Yeah, it was a little rough. So I, I, I was planning if I was. Yeah, there was a part of me that was planning to snatch it from my niece because yeah. I had I had one of the lower numbers, but I just couldn't do it. Number one, because that was just too mean, and yeah. I'd rather just get her get my kid another nap snack. Right. But also because my son, one of my boys, pulled out one of the grab bag gifts that I had put in, which was a notepad that I thought was funny, and it totally did not appeal to him whatsoever. So I bailed him out by taking it. But the funniest part about the entire night, right? <laughs> Was that number one, Stephen Wallach, who's was the last one to pick? He got a um, a rose sequined keychain. 
which uh, is going to come in super handy yeah. uh, when he's driving the Hutzal ambulance. I think. Oh, I, that would look great. Yeah, I said, I'm like, you're going to be the envy of all the other Hutzal guys. You totally have to put the yeah, ambulance like key that. on that for yeah. sure. But the funniest part is that I bought two of my grab bag gifts at the Judaica store, and one was the. Um, the Evan Al Beats 2.0 CD, nice. and the other one was the Newsom Kleiner CD. Nice. So when they, when the people, when my family pulled them out, when that was their gift, they all looked at me. I'm like, I promise you, I bought them. <laughs> <laughs> they, <laughs> they don't have an right. They all figured I just swiped them from the studio and just wrapped them. I'm like, wow. no, no, no. I actually purchased them. Like, sure, you did. So that was really funny. funny. Is there gift giving every day, every night? There's something. Meaning you some can get stick, you can get a roll of some. stickers, correct. You can get a bag of a hundred dreidels that then end up all over the floor and make me angry. You can get a whole bunch of different things, but like different people have gotten different stuff. Usually, the Wallach children go on an outing to Barnes and Noble before Hanukkah, and everyone gets to pick a couple of books and whatever, and then I give it to them one night. Right. Um, so they know that it's happening. Correct. But instead, that didn't get to happen this year. So instead, we are. Um, Instead, we went last night as a family. After we lit, we all went together. Nice. Yeah. All right. That was a good time had by all. Exactly. That was my long story about Hanukkah. Hanukkah is a great holiday. It is. Somebody at the gym who is not Jewish asked me, she's like, you're so lucky you get eight days. I said, yeah, but by five, you're tired. (laughs) I don't know. I don't feel like I'm tired other than it's been tough for me this this Hanukkah because um, I decided to go on this diet last month and then- at, at our Minchamarev minion, they, they have Suv Ganyon. I'm just like, ah. Oh, uh, that is rough. And yesterday I just ran out. I was like, I, I don't even, I'm, I'm running out that way. I won't feel too bad. That about was it. a good idea. Yeah, that was good. I have an, an um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, an incredible amount of self control, I think. Okay. <laughs> I think that you should I be proud have, of that. I have a lot of self control. Um, but that that one was tough. I don't blame that you. I actually tough. have, I had no Suv Ganyot. Not oh, one. Okay, nothing. Maybe if I go buy you one now? Will you no, one? I'm not because I'm just not. Um, I did have latkes because I made latkes on night three. Um, I've had one and a half soup gagnote and I think two latkes. See, last night I but found out. But they're bought latkes. You're, making, you're, you're well, eating So bought- last night I found out Golan posted on their Facebook page that they had a latke with pulled brisket in the middle. Okay. So I was like, I, I have to try one. Right. Even though you're it's a super oily and, and not diet food necessary i just no. have to try one so i had one of those also at mozzarella i had i, oh, I don't know if you right. saw those soup gagnot. i had to have like i was just i i, I was I sitting next to half. you i saw yeah yes. i think there's pictures of it too unfortunately I, there may be mm-hmm, on my phone it was messy yes. but it was delicious but um that so was the that was the the caramel ones <laughs> it was like caramel with dolce de leche yeah, was that yeah, that's what it was dolce de leche yeah they were they were nice that was that was a fun time at mozzarella it was it was a great time actually ruvain brick asked what i ate at mozzarella and classically because i'm just the life of the party i had a salad, salad. has yeah. he been um i don't know i don't know but um we usually reserve our uh, ruvain brick conversations for the live lunch. lunch that's true yes but we you but know. next door to mozzarella you found a great store right I did, though I uh, yes, because th- they had a lot of like the vitamin stuff I like to get. Except I did buy those two kinds of gluten free challah rolls, and um, one of them we I heated up over Shabbos. I went through one package, and going through that package means like I ate it, but that's right. not exactly what happened. My so father would have called them bricks. Yeah, Ooh. they were they were mortar. Right. Um, they were bad, but that's okay. Because that's okay. 
Oh freezer, gosh, long, no, or? I don't even know what their problem was, but they were absolutely awful. All right, next time. Right, I I decided instead. Hey, this isn't good. I'm going to get a migraine. So I opted for the migraine and had my own challah. I hear that. All yeah. right. One other Hanukkah thing that I think I find interesting about myself, other people certainly find interesting about me, yeah. is that I prefer lighting Hanukkah I just like candles. That. One second. Yeah. I like that sentence, people find interesting about me. Go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I prefer I prefer lighting actual candles than the oil wicks. Okay. And and candles, you know, everyone's like, yeah, they don't last that long. They last 30 minutes and one second. Right. That's all I need. That's what anyone needs. And I just find them to be a lot nicer. The, and, and, and the oil wicks, you know, they're, they're, they're sort of serene in that they're just calm and they just sit there. Right. And they sit there for like two hours. I, don't, I like the candles, the colors, that it goes down. I'm with you. Down. I it's, just find it to be nicer And also, it's gratifying. You're not... It's gratifying. Yeah. yeah. yeah they're, you know, exactly. And... um. You, Frankly, in light of everything, I would rather not use oil. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you realize that pun in light. Uh, anyway, oh, um, nice. Pun. How many menorahs are lit in your household? Eight. Eight. Yes. You including? Yes. Nice. Yeah. That's we all like probably a long ceremony. Um, it takes a while, um, but it's. What are we rushing to anyway? Well, it's everything. it's hard to keep everyone in the room. Yeah. Like my brother had said to me in his family after they finished lighting, they all dance in a circle. Which is all very nice and dandy, but he said to me, "Do you guys do anything special?" I'm like, "I'm just happy when we all stay in the kitchen for the entire length of everyone lighting." Um, but no, we all light, and I like the. I take one picture on the last night of everyone's menorahs lit, etc. Yep. And a lot of them are 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 menorahs they made in school, or placemats that they macaroni made macaroni menorahs. Actually, not macaroni. We don't do that anymore, Yoni. No, that's not a thing anymore. Tiles. 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 And glue and whatever, and you're, you're so you have their backsplashes the menorah exactly. Your parent comes in and it's a menorah making, you know, thing in school. Oh, cool. And yeah, it's a lot of fun actually. It's a lot of fun, but um, but yeah. So you know, we pull out the Hanukkah box and all these memories are in there, and the kids' placemats from kindergarten that they made, and the the Alhanisim that they laminated and whatever. They're all in there, so it's nice. That's beautiful. All it right. is, and every year I use um. The leather-bound um, Birche Hanukkah that Jennifer Lauer gave out at her bat mitzvah. Oh, that's an interesting yes. idea. And she's expecting. So not it wasn't her bat mitzvah last year. It's, you know, it's been a while. Um, she got married three years ago. Anyway, so I feel I need to clarify yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so every year I take a picture of us using it and send it to her parents and right. wish her a happy birthday because clearly it all happened around the same time. That is a nice, unique gift i like that yeah idea yeah that was a good gift and actually my daughter who went to a bat mitzvah last week you know what she got she got a leather bound um kriyat shma al hamita oh which was really nice yeah very different very nice not another pair of sweatpants no no i mean i would have taken that too i still wear some uh, don't say it from 2008 don't say it i think his sweatpants his name is hershey Hersh, Hershey, so it's like the Hershey logo. Everyone was like, you got Hershey sweatpants? I was like, it's actually a bar mitzvah thing. I have two pairs, still wear them. I tell them all the time. They're great. Yeah, my daughter has a pair of TABC sweatpants. Well, that's that's a, another story. Yeah. All exactly. right, that's going to do it for us here <laughs> with our Hanukkah segment. Okay. Um, next year, I guess we'll have to have new material or just hope everyone forgot.
No, it, um, trust me, between now and then over Hanukkah, we'll have something. something's going to happen. All right, that'll do it for us. Thank you, Miriam L. Wallach, Thank for you. joining on this week's Bite Size. Thank you all for tuning in for the last two hours here with me on Bite Size. You can download the NSN app, Google Play Store, or the App Store on your iPhone. You have any comments, questions, suggestions regarding Bite Size or the Nachum Siegel Network in general, yoni at nachumsegel.com. That is my email, yoni at nachumsegel.com. And I'd like to wish you all a... Uh, Happy Hanukkah for the last, what is it, eight hours, seven hours, six hours? And until next year, happy Hanukkah. I'd like to wish you all a good day and remind you that the bite size is always, always, always the right size.